Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Well, I don't know why you're getting an attitude about it, Gavin. I mean, you guys just needed America to protect you from the Germans and the scary Russians. No need to be snotty. Ass. The following podcast contains... Profanity, food jokes, and tired comedy references. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks us a simple question. When you were so bored on the back gate you started a UFO flap, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is episode number 284. There's a light over at the Rendlesham Place, part one of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, where we're talking about the Roswell of Great Britain, part of Spooktacular 2020. Stay tuned. Hey, the What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by the Suffolk Lighthouse Keeper Academy, training the next generation of lighthouse keepers. Have you ever wanted to live in a spooky old tower on the edge of the water, bit of a night aisle, and like big lights? Then you should be a lighthouse keeper. The Suffolk Lighthouse Keeper Academy has been training keepers for over 300 years in the key skills of lighting the lamp, turning off the lamp, making sure the lamp spins, and how to deal with the crushing loneliness that comes with being a lighthouse keeper. Maybe you don't like people. Maybe you're cursed by a witch to live alone. Maybe you just like creepy old buildings and fog. And why not turn that into a life alone in a bloody lighthouse? Act now and we'll include a free foghorn tuning class. The Suffolk Lighthouse Keeper Academy. Best do it now before they finish out automating a lot of them. A security police patrol on the perimeter of the base saw what they thought was an aeroplane crashing into the forest. They went into the forest to investigate, saw, they saw a, a cluster of strange lights that they seemed to move away as they went towards them. And eventually they came across a, a clearing in the forest and they actually saw what, they, what one of them described as a triangular shaped object on legs. They saw this thing suddenly disappear in the blink of an eye, which is how they described it. The following morning, British police officers were called to the scene. Uh, they couldn't find anything um, to show that there'd been anything unusual there, but there were strange markings on the ground damage to trees and radiation apparently that had been left at the scene. A couple of nights later, uh, these mysterious lights reappeared. The deputy base commander, Colonel Charles Holt, was sort of like dragged out of the party to go into the woods again with a, with a team of um, hand-picked men to go and investigate. And, and while he was there, he actually saw a UFO, well, as he described it at the time, a, a brilliant pulsating light moving through the trees and he saw the lights beaming uh, down to the ground on the base. And he couldn't explain this. I'm going to let you in on a little military secret. Unless you're actually in combat, being in the military is really fucking boring. The vast majority of the time is spent waiting for shit to happen and hoping that it never does because in a lot of jobs, if shit is happening... Something obviously has gone very wrong. Maybe not if you're a filing clerk in an orderly room, but say you're a guard at a nuclear base. You flat do not want to hear you are urgently needed to fill your, fulfill your primary mission, keeping people from stealing said nuclear weapons. I know from experience, my first two assignments were at nuclear bases, and those four years, my job consisted almost entirely of trying to stay awake on night shifts. Air Force cops used a lot of different methods to stay awake. 
because the consequences of falling asleep on post was that you would be in deep shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in the extremely unlikely event someone got to the nukes, that was bad. But honestly, the security's so redundant, that's just never going to happen. No, I mean, you're in deep shit if you were caught asleep on post by your sergeant. Nuke bases took falling asleep very seriously. And if you did it on the right post and the right time, your military career is about to come to a very premature end. So you drank a lot of coffee, you smoked a lot of cigarettes, you dipped a lot of chewing tobacco, you shot the shit with your buddies, you walked in tiny circles, you sang at the top of the voice, and if all else failed... I used to masturbate. Constantly. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're really falling fighting off the sleepies, a quick toss in the dark is a surefire way to wake you up. But sometimes, just sometimes, even a work jerk isn't enough to fight back the Z-Monster, and you have to resort to extreme measures to get the blood moving, and maybe to get some company to come out to keep you awake. One of the ways you could theoretically do that, I mean, I, I, I certainly never did it. He did. He totally did. Was to say that you saw something. Maybe there were shadows on the fence line or lights on the perimeter, and that would get someone sent out to look for it. And if you made it vague enough, you could eat up a good hour of your shift, maybe get a coffee break when it was over, and you would be saved. Which brings me to our topic, the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident back in 1980. Back during the Cold War, the United States had military bases all over Europe. Some were considered plum assignments close to exciting nightlife and large cities filled with people to have sex with. But others... Not so much. RAF Bentwater and its sister base, RAF Woodbridge, were definitely in the not-so-much categories. Located about 80 miles from London and Suffolk on the Channel Coast, Bentwaters and Woodbridge were considered gloomy, cold shitholes of an assignment. Originally opened as an RAF fighter base back in 1943, the U.S. Air Force took it over in 1951, and the base played host to a variety of aircraft, but in 1980, its primary mission was to stop Soviet tanks coming through the Fulda Gap into Germany with A-10 tank killer aircraft, and failing that, to drop tactical nuclear weapons on them. That last bit was very much an open secret, but uh, kind of non-denial denied. I can neither confirm nor deny details. Of Every base with nuclear weapons is far more strict with its security measures for good reasons, and overseas bases were widely considered the worst assignments by Air Force security police when there were nukes present. I mean, if you were going to spend your entire tour training constantly and being inspected regularly, speaking from experience... It's fucking tedious, this shit. None of the cops I knew in my time in the military station at Bentwaters or Woodbridge had a good thing to say about it. But that's not unusual for any nuke base in general. What was unusual about Bentwaters was the UFO. That, yes. That. The 1980 Rindlesham Forest incident is considered the most widely documented sighting in the UK. With highly credible witnesses and documentation, it is considered a Roswell-level incident by the kind of people who like to qualify and quantify UFO sightings. The nerds, the dweebs, the spazzes. And it all starts on the back gate the morning after Christmas, Boxing Day 1980, at 3 a.m. Airman First Class John Burroughs was patrolling in the vicinity to the closed back east gate of RAF Woodbridge. He saw strange colored lights descending into Rindlesham Forest just outside the base. Now, he used the word patrolling, which is the safe and professional way to say he was fucking off far away from the prying eyes of his flight chief, the supervisor in charge of the shift. 
It was the day after Christmas, three o'clock in the morning. I wasn't there, but I would wager any amount of money that Airman First Class Burroughs was sitting at the gate shack, catching on a nap, or fucking doing some other non-vital mission-related duty. According to his statement at the time, when he and his partner saw the lights descending into the thick woods, they thought it might be an airplane that had crashed. As airplanes do, in the middle of the night off the Channel Coast of England, when the Air Force Base nearby was shut down for flight ops and in very tightly controlled airspace. Chillingly plausible. He radioed for assistance and Staff Sergeant Jim Pennison and Airman First Class Ed Cabinsack responded to the gate to investigate. This is where things get weird. I will read now from a memo written by Lieutenant Colonel Edward Halt, the deputy base commander for Bentwaters regarding the incident, and I will be mentioning Colonel Halt rather a lot, so stay with us. Quote, they called for permission to go outside the gate to investigate. The on-duty flight chief responded and allowed the three patrolmen to proceed on foot. The individuals reported seeing a strange glowing object in the forest. The object was described as being metallic in appearance and triangular in shape, approximately two to three meters across the base and approximately two meters high. It illuminated the entire forest with a white light. The object itself had a pulsing red light on top and a bank of blue lights underneath. The object was hovering or on legs. As the patrolman approached the object, it maneuvered through the trees and disappeared. At this time, the animals on a nearby farm went into a frenzy. The object was briefly sighted approximately an hour later near the back gate, unquote. Now, you might be asking yourself why the second-in-command of a U.S. military base is writing a letter about some crazy bullshit like this. Doesn't he have better things to do? Apparently not. Why take any of this seriously? Let me tell you, first of all, about something called the Personnel Reliability Program. Air Force cops guard nuclear weapons. They have access to nuclear weapons in their storage area and even a limited form of access to the weapons themselves. So the Air Force thought it would be a good idea to know if the kind of people who had such close access to nuclear weapons were quite sane or if you had a drug or alcohol problem or financial liabilities or displayed some emotional inst instability, your PRP would be pulled and you would at best be reassigned from your duties and much more likely discharged. So these cops carried the presumption of being reliable, honest, and rational. This isn't farmer toad of Suffolkshire seeing lights in his old pen. These are trusted people, one of whom a non-commissioned officer with several years of experience. So Colonel Halt took these reports seriously. Honestly, probably more seriously than other cops in the squadron, but we'll get to that quickly. Because the following morning, Lieutenant Colonel Halt read the blotters. The security police desk blotter is a record of all the activity by cops on the base in the last 24 hours. And the blotter detailed the, the entire night's record of the lights in the forest, the investigations, and the finding of the patrolman on the scene. He also encountered a building full of cops laughing about the UFO spotting last night. I never have believed in little green men. When the local police finally checked out the landing site around 7 p.m. on the 26th, they were, well, let me put it in the vernacular of the Suffolkshire men, not impressed. This should have been the end of this until later in the evening on the 26th, they came back.
around 9.30 p.m., the on-duty security police notified Lieutenant Colonel Halt at a command holiday party. Somewhere in the intervening 18 hours, this shit has gotten serious. Because you are pulling the deputy base commander out of a fucking party at 9.30 p.m. for a UFO sighting. Now, I knew a lot of United States Air Force security police officers, officers in the military rank sense, and they were not known for being particularly brave or risk-seeking. As a rule, most were at best washed-out pilots pissed off they didn't make flight school and doing their minimum service time until they could get the fuck out of the military, and they were not the kind of people who were risk bothering the brass with some bullshit, much less calling them out of a fucking Christmas party because exactly what they thought would happen happened. Lieutenant Colonel Halt decided he was going to go out and look for himself what all this bullshit was about. And then he stayed out with the cops until 2.30 a.m. on the 27th and saw nothing. This is a fucking cop commander's nightmare because you do not want the deputy base commander or the base commander or anybody like them nosing around your people late at night because they are going to find out and things and ask questions, which is exactly what happened at 7.30 a.m. on the 27th when the base commander, Colonel Conrad, met with the security police squadron commander, Major Zickler, presumably with some very pointed questions like... What the fuck is wrong with you people? An investigation was launched, and interviews were made with the parties involved from the first night, and every fucking Air Force cop to ever wear the badge knows that when the statement forms comes out from the squadron commander's orders... That's when the cannibalism started. And so what had started as a squadron joke was now a full-on fucking incident. So, Colonel Halt visited the landing site on the day of the 27th. Quoting from his memo again, quote, the next day, three depressions, 1.5 inches deep and seven inches in diameter were found where the object had been sighted on the ground. The following night, 29 December 1980, the area was checked for radiation. Beta gamma readings of 0.1 millirotogens were recorded with peak readings in the three depressions at near the center of the triangle formed by the depressions. A nearby tree had moderate 0.05 to 0.07 on the side of the tree towards the depressions, unquote. By 2 a.m. the following morning of December 28th, there's a lot of date confusions in these memos which will be addressed next week, Halt and the other investigators were still working the incident when the real action starts. Back to his memo, quote, Later in the night, a red sun-like light was seen through the trees. It moved about and pulsed. At one point, it appeared to throw off glowing particles and then broke into five separate white objects and then disappeared. Immediately thereafter, three star-like objects were noticed in the sky, two objects to the north and one to the south, all of which were about 10 degrees off the horizon. The objects moved rapidly in sharp angular movements and displayed red, green, and blue lights. The objects to the north appeared to be elliptical through an 8-12 to 12 power lens. They then turned into full circles. The objects to the north remained in the sky for an hour or more. 
The object to the south was visible for two to three hours and beamed down a stream of light from time to time. Numerous individuals, including the undersigned, witnessed the activities in paragraph two and three, unquote. What isn't mentioned in the memo is that Halt was actively tracking the object on the ground and was in two-way radio communication with the Air Force cops, which was monitored by the base commander, Colonel Conrad, and perhaps most importantly, recorded by Halt on a small cassette recorder. What the hell is that? It's a thing we used before we did everything on their phone. Halt's recording would detail the second sighting and the efforts of those on the ground to determine what the fuck they were seeing. in the vicinity at that time confirmed they saw a light in the area, but none of them could corroborate the description of Halt and his team who were much further out. It was not until roughly 4 a.m. on the morning of the 28th, the lights stopped and the sighting was considered to be over. Everything I have told you up to this point is documented fact, meaning it's supported by primary sources in the form of CSP blotters, halts, recordings, memos, and the signed statements to the security police who responded and their supervisors, including the officers in charge of the shift. They established that lights were in fact seen on the morning of the 26th in Rendlesham Forest. They established that broken tree branches and three depressions in the ground were documented in photographs and that elevated radiations levels were in fact recorded in the area of those broken branches and depressions. The people involved in this were sober, 
professional, military officers, and enlisted persons who, by the very nature of their assignments, were considered to be reliable and honest, including the deputy commander of the base, a man with a long military career behind him, and prospects of future promotion. No one involved had any motivation to... Some shit up, you know? ...had genuine reason to think this was a serious incident. And this incident was investigated, not just by the security police and the base command, but the Air Force Office of Special Investigations looked into the sighting as well. The Royal Air Force Liaison Commander, local police, and the United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense were notified of the matter, and records indicate there was some follow-up reports, but nothing was substantiated. Officially, the incident was noted, documented, and declared to be a collision of a few separate incidents and the yikes not knowing local geography as will be detailed in part two. And the entire thing became the source of a, just a good ball busting on post for those who saw the lights and officially a nothing burger. That's the way it stayed until the rumors started to spread and the story took a turn, a darker turn, a turn towards the sort of places and realms that Agents Mulder and Scully, FBI would investigate. As documented by Dr. David Clark, a reporter, professor, an open government advocate with broad experience credibly investigating incidents such as the Rendlesham Forest incident, reports on his website, quote, Nevertheless, within months of the incident in January of 1981, rumors about a UFO landing at the base leaked out to civilian ufologists, along with the story that an unidentified flying object had been tracked by RAF radars. During 1982, when the protest against American cruise missiles at RAF Greenham Common was underway, the Ministry of Defense began to receive letters asking if the UFO story had been spread to conceal a military accident involving a missile or aircraft. Despite increasing pressure, the Ministry of Defense refused to discuss the contents of Halt's memo until 1983, when the contents of his memo, released under the American Freedom of Information Act, was splashed across the front page of the News of the World. By that time, the sensational stories that began to emerge from United States Air Force personnel who claimed they were present at the second UFO landing in the forest when contact had taken place between the base commander, Colonel Conrad, and the occupants of the UFO. They claimed that threats had been made against airmen who witnessed these events and a cover-up was underway, unquote. Additionally, the people who saw the initial landing have, shall we say expanded their original story since the time of the original sighting. That's a nice way of putting it. In the extended universe of this incident, the story is quite a bit different. Beginning with the night of the initial sighting on the 26th of December, when after receiving permission to leave the base, Penniston and Burroughs left their weapons with cabin sag, as would have been the re required by the re regulation, at the East Gate, and together... They walked into the forest, and as they followed the light, both witnessed the landed craft, triangle-shaped vessel on three landing struts in the trees, emitting a soft, warm light. Penniston approached the craft close enough to see strange, hieroglyphic-style writings on the exterior of the craft, and then he touched it, and the craft was warm. He further then received a telepathic download in binary code, which he documents in his patrol notebooks in the days following the incident. Burroughs says that under hypnotic regression, he recalls 
he and Peniston were actually taken on board the craft. And when they returned to Cabin Sack at the gate, 45 minutes had elapsed from the time they had entered the trees and they had been out of radio contact the entire time. This, the men say, was why the incident was escalated to the level of the base command, as a search was initiated by the other members of the security police that night, including their flight chief and flight commander, which would be protocol in the event they were both out of communication for any appreciable length of time. A search which could not locate the two missing men in a fairly small area. Both have claimed that they reported the incident just as I laid it out to their superiors and were told to omit any reference to the craft are being taken aboard in their statements, or they will be punished for dereliction of duty if they stuck with that story since they clearly had to be out fucking around with their radios off for the better part of an hour. Look, well, I don't know, maybe they pop around the pub for a point or something. And that might have stayed the story until the lights were sighted again the following night by different people, and Lieutenant Colonel Halt was notified because now they were believed by their command. Both now say that subsequent investigations into their sighting and what Lieutenant Colonel Halt witnessed on the 28th were covered up by the U.S. military, the Ministry of Defense, and, of course, the CIA. They claim that they were administered truth drugs by the Air Force Office of Special Investigations while interrogated and then ordered by multiple levels of the chain of command to never speak of the incidents or else. Oh, yeah? Well, what are you going to do about it? Discharge, dishonorable discharge, time in Leavenworth, things like that. Lieutenant Colonel Halt, when he retired in the 1990s, revised his story of the sighting to include multiple crafts seen and, yes, orders to downplay what had happened in his memo officially documenting the incident. Halt has since appeared at UFO conferences and in paranormal media claiming that he saw that what he saw that night was clearly not of earthly origin and supporting the claim of a cover-up by the U.S. and U.K. agency. Halt wrote a doorstop of a book that is widely acclaimed as the definitive source on the incident by the kind of people who want to believe and, quote, a disjointed, fragmented meander through ufology and myth with very little actual information by those who've actually read the fucking book. I don't need an editor. Halt, Burroughs, and Penniston are now on the UFO circuit speaking at conventions and on podcasts. Halt has his book. Burroughs actually filed for and won a claim against the Veterans Affairs, saying that the health effects from radiation stemmed from, his from the incident impacted his health, which is not an affirmation of the version of events, but Burroughs claims it is on his Facebook page, Justice for the Bentwaters 84 Security Police at Rendlesham Forest, 1980. And Penniston, well, remember what I told you about the binary code he received from the craft? People decoded the message that was given to Penniston. Penniston, who did not know binary code, especially not in 1980, and it read roughly this. Exploration of humanity, continuous planetary advancement. And then a series of coordinates for places like the Great Pyramids of Giza, the Nazca Lines, and the Temple of Apollo. And a Carl's Jr. outside of Barstow, California, but that might just be something I made up. But... It's credible. And there is the story of the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident as it transpired, as it is told today. Speaking as an ex-Air Force cop, there's a lot in this story that sounds familiar. 
And a lot that sounds to me as an ex-Air Force cop, credible, because that's how it would have gone down seven years later when I became security police. It's a story with believable witnesses, extensively documented in primary sources and corroborated by some physical evidence and even a contemporary recording made during the actual sighting. It is considered in the UFO world to be perhaps the most credible UFO sighting to date. If you left the subsequent embellishments out of it, it might even be believable to you, pod friends, never having actually been an Air Force cop. But to me, who was not there, but has gone on ghost hunts in the dark looking for strange lights, I have my own ideas about what the fuck went down that night. And I'm not alone. And that is where we will pick back up next week in Rindlesham Part 2, Bentwater's Boogaloo, as the spooktacular 2020 continues. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. I've wanted to do this story for ages. I heard about it when I was in the Air Force from people who heard about it from people who were there, which is military speak for I'm about to tell you a bullshit story right now. See episode 133 for a full explanation of how a military bullshit story works. I've never really had much confidence in it, as you might have noticed from the tone of this episode, but still, I wanted to give the fellas a full and open hearing on this episode so that I can come in and burn it all fucking down in part two. Spoiler alert. Speaking of burning shit down, rate and review this show wherever you get your pods so others can find the show and wonder why you are burning their shit down by getting them to listen to this dumb show. All of my verbal arson is available on the socials at the hell underscore podcast on Twitter and at what the hell podcast on Facebook. If you are looking for more spooktacular content, head on over to patreon.com slash what the hell podcast for more stuff. Gavin did a little show last week. He hated it, and it was cute. I will be doing a spooky special this week where I tell you my very own UFO sighting, and you can hear that story that I was ordered never to tell you about for just a buck. If you got a few dollars more, we got some cool swag for you, so get donating. All of the shows are at whatthehellpodcast.com, and you from there, you can link to the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network and all of their fine shows, including Going Dork, where Jeremy Ballon looks into the paranormal and other dark and spooky shit, and their newest show, Bad Advice with Lori Beth Denberg, because when it comes to bad advice, you could do a lot worse than a 90s Nickelodeon star who doesn't have a felony record. So for me, Dave, honestly, sir, I wasn't fucking around on post and saw a UFO. I was just asleep, Bledsoe. Producer, the Constabulary of Suffolk has no reason to lie about this. I know many of them, and they're quite good people. Gavin, and all the fictional off-posts and out-of-contact postal patrols on this show, we want to say, There's a light over at the Rendlesham place. There's a light Probably from outer space, there's a light. That's most likely a lighthouse, but we'll talk about that in part two, and we'll see you all next week.
What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.